Welcome to In Social Work, the podcast series of the University of Buffalo School of Social Work at www.insocialwork.org. We're glad you could join us today. The purpose of In Social Work is to engage practitioners and researchers in lifelong learning and to promote research to practice and practice to research. We educate, we connect, we care. We're In Social Work. Hello from Buffalo and welcome to In Social Work. My name is Luann Back and I'll be your host for this episode. In this podcast, Lakshmi Iyer discusses her work at FSG, a mission-driven consulting firm that is dedicated to advising corporate, foundation, and nonprofit leaders. She comments on how philanthropy and corporations can be viewed skeptically and are often misunderstood by social work and explains how for-profit organizations can help solve social issues and create an impact through collaborative partnerships. Models of social innovation and entrepreneurship are described and examples of how social workers can serve as change agents are discussed. In addition, social change approaches utilized by FSG in their connection to social work education, research, and practice, including how these strategies address current silos, are explored. The episode concludes with a short description of the UB School of Social Work's Social Impact Fellows Program and how the program provides opportunities for social innovation and collaborative partnerships. Lakshmi Iyer, MPP, MSW, is an Associate Director at FSG, where she is a core member of the organization's corporate practice. She has led projects with a variety of companies, including Intuit, Toyota, and Cisco, to help them design and implement strategies for creating shared value, enhancing their corporate philanthropy, and community development strategies. She was interviewed in July 2019 by Dr. Gokul Mandiam, a clinical faculty member at the Rhode Island College School of Social Work. Hello, this is Gokul Mandiam, and today I'm in a conversation with Ms. Lakshmi Iyer, Associate Director at FSG, a social change strategy consulting firm. She is based out of the San Francisco office. So, Ms. Iyer, could you tell us about your background and what led you to have a career trajectory that has taken you now to working for this consulting firm? Yeah, happy to. First of all, I just want to thank you, Gokul, for inviting me to this podcast. I think having a social work degree myself in the past is a big part of who I am today, so I'm happy to share my experiences. I would say in a nutshell, my background has been and continues to be about understanding and contributing to solving social problems effectively at scale. I've worked in different parts of what I think are, you know, an essential infrastructure of this space. So I've worked as an individual social worker on the ground. I've worked in administrative roles in nonprofits doing fundraising and then moved over over to management roles in corporate social responsibility in multinational, and then have moved to this consulting role where I work with a variety of organizations today from different sectors to advise them on solving social problems. So that's sort of the short version of it. And right now, for the past seven years, I've been working at FSG, and the majority of my work has been in the private sector space, so helping companies think about how they can create social impact, either through their foundation 
foundations or philanthropies or also often through their core business. So that's what I do today. And I think I'll stop there. I'm happy to kind of go through the longer version, but I think I'll stop there for now. Sure. Thank you. So if I may ask you to go back in time, what inspired you to get your master's in social work degree? And again, fast forward, how do you think pursuing that degree has kind of impacted the work that you're doing now at FSG? I love that question. So I think I'll rewind a little bit. So I grew up in a pretty middle-class family in Mumbai in India, and I did my schooling there and did my undergraduate degree actually in business. And like most people and most of my colleagues, I had actually decided to do a master's in business and MBA eventually. But during my undergrad, we were looking for internships, and I had two very diverse experiences. So I had, on one hand, I went ahead and did like this traditional corporate internship where I conducted market research for a small business. I ended up selling washing machines for Siemens at a trade show. I did that whole thing. And the other summer, I actually decided to do something different thanks to my sister. I just sort of heard about this nonprofit called Akansha, which taught and supported children who live on the street. And I signed up to teach art during the summer. And the whole rationale or theory was that these are kids who live on the street or live in slums, but they do attend school, but they are normally sent back to the village during the summer to support their parents. And so oftentimes that's when the biggest drop-offs would happen and they would not come back. So the idea of this camp was to keep them engaged and give them the support system. And for me, that was a pretty important pivot point where I could clearly see the impact of the work. And I knew that I wanted to have a career that gave me meaning versus selling washing machines and, and refrigerators. And that is important, but it was just not for me. So I actually said, okay, let me test this out a little bit more. And I went and worked for this national emergency helpline called Childline. It's still there and it's India's first sort of toll-free helpline for street children. I was in charge of fundraising and there, that was sort of the second wave for me because my job was to essentially explain how our nonprofit functions to, to corporations and raise funds, right? And explain to them the model and why it was effective. But I just sort of found this big distinction between what was happening on the ground and what companies thought was happening on the ground. And so I really felt like that was a role that I could play to be a translator between the two sectors. But to play that role effectively, I also knew that I myself needed to know the grassroots level work well. And growing up in India, you see poverty around you, but that doesn't mean you're equipped to truly understand social issues and why they happen and how they're structured in the system. So that's kind of when I decided I wanted to go ahead and do my master's in social work. And yeah, that's what led me to the decision. I think it hugely impacts what I do today. I think it's hugely impacted who I am as a person. And I think about it, there are a lot of underlying values and underlying sort of ways of being that I think about even today. So I think at a very sort of high level, I would say the degree, the two years of the MSW that I did equipped me with sort of that theoretical knowledge about why social problems sort of exist at the very grassroots level. And the course that I did at the Tata Institute of Social Sciences was a course where we had class for three days of the week, but the other two days you were sort of working for a nonprofit as a social worker. And so that was sort of real life experience, right? You're working for two years. And it allowed me to see sort of the systemic nature of these problems, how sort of there are certain problems at the systems level, but it is affecting the family I'm working with or the child I'm working with or the community that I'm working with. And so one, it allowed me to see that connection between what happens on the ground and broken systems or broken institutions or broken policy failures. And so I could see that real time. And I feel like I was able to, even in FSG, now a lot of my work is 
global, both based in the U.S. and in different parts of the world. And I feel like that pattern is repeated, you know, and unfortunately it is repeated. So when I see something on the ground, I'm sort of connecting it immediately to and my, the questions that I first ask to understand the problem are, you know, what's happening at the systems level? What's happening at the institutional level? Because I see that connection. So I definitely bring that even today. I think at a more tactical level, there are just principles and ways of being, of working with communities on the ground that I do bring. Because at the end of the day, as a consulting forum, you're so many steps removed. So we're trying to bring in more of the end beneficiary voice into our work. And I'm happy to talk about that later. But so we try and do interviews with the end user or the end beneficiary that our work is targeting so that we actually get that voice in addition to just the expert voice. So just very tactically, that's also another way in which I feel like my experience comes to life. Thank you. So given that you are a social worker by academic training to some extent, and currently now working for FSJ. Could you talk a little bit about your experiences of being entrepreneurial, innovative, or engaging in disruptive thinking? in your job? So firstly, I'll say that because FSG is a pretty small organization, with about 150 of us across the world, there is a lot of opportunity to create something new within the organization as well. There's a lot of freedom to do that. So as an example, for the past three years, I have been leading the work on racial equity and corporations. So the idea that companies can advance racial equity is a new concept. It's not a concept that the field has ever done before. If you look at the field, most companies, they talk about diversity and inclusion, but not about racial equity. And so we started doing some research on that, and we found examples of where companies had done that. And that was a totally new area. We managed to get some grant funding from the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation and from the Ford Foundation and the Kellogg Foundation and did that work. And now we're in this really early stages. I think of it like a startup type phase where we are trying to figure out what it means to put this theory and this research in action. So we are now working with a few companies who have reached out to us after reading this report to ask us, how do you actually do this work? You know, FSG has done shared value work a lot, but you know, the partner that we're working with in this work is PolicyLink, and they've been in this racial equity space for a lot, but those two worlds have never come together. And now I'm getting the support from the organization to sort of do that work because A, it aligns with our mission. Two, it is a wonderful opportunity to sort of move the needle on a problem. So that's an opportunity where I feel like I've had the opportunity opportunity to kind of be entrepreneurial within the firm. Thank you. FSG's tagline is reimagining social change. And as you very well know, social workers call themselves as social change agents. So from your perspective, could you speak to how the two are similar and or different? Yeah, happy to. So I think social workers are change agents. I think they have this incredible asset of being on the ground and truly understanding what is happening on the ground. I think the reality is that anyone else who is or claims to be in the social sector is two or more steps removed. So if you think about a funder or a foundation that funds a program, they are a couple steps removed. Consultants like us who are consulting that foundation, even one more step removed. A corporation that's funding that, funding that organization is also a couple steps removed. And so I feel like 
at the end of the day, the social workers who are more on the ground have that incredible asset of really knowing what's happening on the ground. That said, social problems are complex. It cannot be solved by one entity. And there are other entities that need to work in synergy, whether it's that nonprofit or the funder or the companies or policymakers or even consultants like us. We need to work in synergy to, to address that problem. And so an FSG works oftentimes with entities that are a step removed. So with funders or foundations, philanthropic organizations, or companies who want to influence a social problem or who want to address that problem. And so I would say if you think about the different levels at which a problem can be addressed, I would say social workers are at that micro level really on the ground. And FSG is also addressing the same problem, but probably by working with institutions at the next level or the systems. We do a lot of systems change work and we bring that systems change thinking in our work at that macro level. We're trying to do the social change. So that's how I see them as working together in sync. Does that make sense? Sure. Thank you. So in a nutshell, I guess you are saying that the work done at FSG parallels social work practice kind of largely at the meso or more so at the macro level. Thank you for sharing that. A partnership between social work, philanthropy, and corporate organizations is quite often viewed very skeptically and sometimes is even misunderstood. So I would like for you to explain your work at FSG to people who might not have much background on or exposure to topics like shared value, collective impact, inclusive markets, and the connection between racial equity and corporate performance, as you just mentioned, and who might sometimes even find these terms controversial. I think you're totally right, Gokul, in that there are a lot of individuals who find that controversial. And I personally think that, you know, there are valid reasons why such partnerships are looked at with skepticism. For example, if you have a foundation, a corporate foundation, that doesn't mean that all is well. As a company, you could still be doing their business in an inequitable way or creating societal harm. So just having that CSR, corporate social responsibility arm, is meaningless if the way you do your business is not good. So I think the skepticism is valid. There's a lot of data because of which the skepticism exists. That said, I do believe that at the end of the day, I'm also a realist while I'm also an optimist and we are in a capitalist society today. And I believe that you have to be in the system to change the system. And this is actually something that one of my professors in my social work degree had actually told me. You have to be in the system to change the system. And I have been inside boardrooms of companies where there are a few individuals who want to change, moving the entire company and that entire machinery is hard and it takes time. So let me maybe give you an example of one such concept of what we do and, and maybe that might shed some light. So one of the big areas of work that we do at FSG and that I've been working on for the last many years is called shared value. So shared value is basically a management strategy in which companies find business opportunities in social problems. So Philanthropy and corporate social responsibility typically focus on giving back to the society. They may be aligned to the business or they may think about minimizing harm that the business has on society, but essentially the idea is to give back or do less harm. But a shared value is a little different in that it focuses on solving social problems, but also getting some competitive advantage. So you do that in three ways. So you either as a company, you can create new products and use those products to reach new markets that are traditionally underserved by reducing costs 
or improving productivity through a company's core operations or by strengthening the business context and addressing any market failures that are caused because of social problems. So let me maybe share an example of, of that third thing, the third level, which is strengthening the business context. So, you know, an example that comes to mind is some work that Prudential has done. You know, we didn't work with them on this project, but it's an example that I like. We shared that in the racial equity paper as I co-wrote with my colleagues. So, you know, the problem is if you look at it, there are about two-thirds of households of color in the U.S. that actually do not have any access to retirement savings, right, 401ks. And that rate is double the rate for white. And, you know, this disparity is obviously one way in which racial inequity is manifested, but it's, and it's obviously because of many factors because of structural racism that has existed for so many years in this country. And basically, uh, Prudential is obviously in the retirement business, and it asked itself, okay, what can we do about this? So first thing it did was it said, okay, let's actually research this topic and understand what's happening. So it actually partnered with Unidos US, which is the largest Latino nonprofit advocacy organization to understand why Latino households, for example, are lacking access to retirement savings. It asked that question. It didn't give the research to a traditional market research agency. It partnered with this nonprofit and basically did that research and they understood what are the issues that that particular community is facing. So they found a couple of things, right? So they said, okay, 80% of small businesses in the U.S. do not offer any retirement plans because they are concerned about costs. It's complex. The whole process is extremely cumbersome, but a majority of people of color actually work for these small businesses. So that's why a majority of people of color actually don't have access to those retirement services. And so Prudential, basically, its public policy team, it realized that there's something called multiple employer plans. And I know it's getting technical right now, but the devil is in the details. Basically, it's an employee benefit plan in which many employers can participate. And they said, hey, that's actually a solution that might narrow this retirement coverage gap. And so it partnered with many other nonprofits and organizations to advocate for that policy change. And in the process, it's not completely passed. The bill is not completely passed, but it has a strong chance of passing now. And that's an example of where it's changing something in its business context. But by doing that, it's actually good for both the business, because now you're opening up a whole new market of Latino households that may have access to retirement services. And it's good for society because you are increasing access to retirement services. So I don't know if that example is helpful. Hopefully it is. I can go on about those. That's an example of a company creating shared value and addressing a social problem. Thank you. The next question, very much related to what you just mentioned, would be, today we talk a lot about models of social innovation and entrepreneurship, both for-profit and non-profit, targeting different vulnerable population groups in order to address the wicked social problems. What are your views about choosing such approaches, such as cross-sector partnership, shared value, collective impact, etc., to address the grand challenges, social challenges of this century? I don't think that there's any one approach, obviously, that can solve all the problems. I think my view about choosing those different approaches is that it needs to be chosen based on the situation and based on the context. So, for example, I think there are certain issues where it is imperative that different 
cross-sector players come together to solve the problem. Whereas I think if a company is asking, hey, what role can I play in this? There may be a specific unique role that the company can play. So even shared value, it's not a model to solve all social problems in this world. I think shared value is one approach that the corporate sector can take to play its role in a more positive and productive way to solve a social problem. But I think that the approach needs to be chosen based on the context. Moving along, in terms of the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals, 17 SDGs as they exist today, how does FSG's approach act as a solution for addressing complex problems through the lens of these SDGs among vulnerable population groups? And if you could share with some examples, that'll be great. You know, I think that SDGs, obviously, there's a ton of opportunities. I mean, we work a variety of social issues, everything from education to poverty to inequity to sanitation. So so some or the other SDG is covered in terms of the work that we do. I will say that both companies and foundations are extremely interested to align their focus areas with the SDGs, particularly multinational corporations and international NGOs, right? So an example is we worked a few years ago with the Gates Foundation to explore this topic of menstrual hygiene and menstrual health for women and girls. And that I would say, let's say that fits within SDG I think that's for gender equality. Another SDG, I don't remember the number, maybe seven, or which is on clean water and sanitation. So it sort of fits within all of those. So that there's a lot of opportunity to do that. A lot of companies who are exploring their purpose are trying to align their purpose to SDGs or their shared value goals to SDGs. So there's a lot of opportunity to kind of touch on those issues. The SDGs give us a framework for prioritizing certain problems that need to be solved in the world, right? And I think working with these different entities help us think about what is the unique role that entity can have in contributing to that SDG. So if I may, in, in working with your clients at FSGs, really sort of examining the work through the SDG lens is also sometimes a core element of the projects that you undertake. Am I right? Yeah, it depends on the client. If it is, and I think an international client, it's more comes up. So I think especially when you're working with companies and if we are in the process, let's say, of helping a company figure out what is its shared value strategy, what should be the social issue that the company is most uniquely positioned to address. We'll obviously look at the internal assets that the company brings, the strengths that the company has, the social problems that the company is ready to address, but we'll also look at the SDGs as one area to think about how the company can prioritize. Thank you. So you've talked a lot about terms like collective impact, shared value, inclusive markets, and the non-conventional approaches to addressing complex social problems. And as a person trained academically in social work, I would like to ask you, what social work about all these? How would you see these as social work interventions? I think this goes back to the comment you made earlier about the micro, meso, macro. When I think about social work interventions, at least in my mind, the most common practice is at the micro level. It was a lot of what we were taught in the Tata Institute of Social Sciences about working directly with individuals or clients. I think when you think about collective impact, collective impact can happen at a city level, at a community level, at a national level or international level. So that, in my mind, is more the meso level or the macro level practice. And then a lot of the work that we do is also in the systems change space. So that, I would say, again, is at that macro level. So I think it's the level at which you are intervening is different in my mind. And so a lot of the work that FSG does, for example, will be at the second or third level, right? The meso or the macro level. 
level and not at the individual level. Thank you. The consulting practice at FSG also, as I understood, works in the area of inclusive markets. And mm-hmm. I would be very curious to know if you could possibly share any examples in that space that would have social work relevance of sorts. It's actually not an area that I have worked directly in, but I'm happy to share at a high level what it is. So it's a really interesting approach. It's a very different approach than the work that we do. Our Mumbai office actually leads our inclusive markets work, and it's very different than the consulting work that we do. And the whole idea is that basically in our inclusive markets work, the FSG plays this role of almost a facilitator where we are bringing companies, investors, funders, governments to both develop strategies that can scale some inclusive business models. So we do research to understand what are those inclusive business models and then takes it to investors and funders and governments to actually implement those models. And there are a lot of sort of principles to that approach. So it starts with a really great understanding of low-income consumers or customers or producers. So there's a lot of research of thousands and thousands of consumers who may be, let's say, using low-income housing or decentralized water plants and things like that. And then we go through a phase where we actually do research and develop the business model to solve the problem. Let's say if you're thinking about the problem of low-income housing, the team worked and figured out different models that will actually work for those segments and then identified what the barriers are at the ecosystem level and generally functioned as a facilitator at the industry level to get different stakeholders in the industry to try out the business model that was recommended. So there are different topics that FSG has worked on that are different issues areas that FSG has worked on in the inclusive market space that has led to the low-income housing industry is a really interesting story where because of the work that was done in that space, more than 80,000 units of housing have been sold across the country and they've incubated a new housing finance company that has provided 28 million in micro mortgages. So there's a lot that's been done in that space. So it's a very different model than the one-on-one consulting model that we do here based out of the U.S. team. Thank you. And just to clarify, when you said a lot of housing has been created, is my understanding right that this is to sort of really help with housing for the lower income market so that they are able to have a roof over their head? Am I right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you. Moving along, would you share your thoughts on how social workers as change agents could really claim their space or be present at the table, particularly in areas like collective impact, shared value, and inclusive markets? And let me give you a little prelude to this. As I was looking at the FSG webpage and reading people's profiles, I really wanted to count how many social workers are there. And I hope I'm saying this right. Yours was the only name that had an MSW against it. So it piqued my curiosity. So FSG is a firm, I would say we're a small firm, and we try and get people with diverse sort of backgrounds. So we have people who've done their MBAs, we have people who've done their public policy, I agree, probably not so much social work background, but a lot of people who have, even without degrees, done a lot of, let's say, grassroots mobilization community work in their lives, either in the U.S. or abroad. Maybe they don't have the degree, but they have either started organizations on their own or actually done that work. We do try and ensure that people who are coming into the organization have some experience in the social sector. So it may not be the traditional social work experience, but definitely experience working in the social sector. So they may have played different roles, right? But you're right in that people perhaps with a traditional social work degree is probably not as high. But as I think about the role, I think there's a lot of space. I think it's the idea is how do you take one experience and translate it to another experience, right? Or translate it to another sector. So for example, I think in a collective impact effort, a lot of the work that the collective impact 
team does is with communities on the ground. So it is with nonprofits on the ground who are doing the work with community leaders in different communities. And of course, there will be a funder on the table and a local business on the table if need be. But it's very much a partnership with all these different entities. So if you are a social worker, you're working in the nonprofit, and you're realizing that the work you're doing is siloed, and you're only able to solve one part of the puzzle and not the others. And if a collective impact model is the right model in your community, you could be part of a collective impact effort. If you look at the website, there's a lot of case studies on how collective impact works. And I think anybody can take that leadership role to be a backbone or to be a backbone that looks at the shared goals of that collective impact initiative. So I think that there's definitely a role there. I think even in shared value, there are increasing partnerships between companies and nonprofits to make that shared value effort a success. So an example is we recently featured this example in our paper of ProMedica, which is a healthcare company. You know, healthcare companies are realizing increasingly that there is a lot of factors outside clinical factors that influence health outcomes. So ProMedica it actually added a new step in its service delivery where they actually screen patients for different indicators related to social determinants of health, such as food insecurity, housing safety, financial strain, childcare, transportation challenges. And so if I'm a patient, I go to a ProMedica center, I'm screened for that. And if I am screened for that and I'm positive that, let's say, I do have food insecurity, then I am referred to either a food clinic or some other entity. And some of them is in-house and some of them are external nonprofits, right? So in case of ProMedica, they operate a food clinic where they supply food to patients that screen positively for that food insecurity. So there are sort of different, or they sometimes refer a patient to a shelter if they are experiencing home. And they do that not only because it's the right thing to do, because they have realized that it actually reduces their health costs. So again, that's the shared value angle where partnering with this nonprofit and referring its patients there is actually helping reduce healthcare costs and readmissions for the organization. So I think there are like different roles that we can play and sort of break down the silos between the different sectors. I think it sort of requires a mindset change from both the sides of you know social worker that end as with the nonprofit end as well as the private sector and I think it requires just a mindset shift but I definitely see a lot of connection points. Thank you. And just for the benefit of the audience, how you define shared value, could you sort of briefly define the term collective impact please? Yeah, yeah, no, I'm happy to. So the whole idea of collective impact is it's a very structured way to achieve social change. You know, there are a lot of organizations that work in isolation from another. So the idea of collective impact is that organizations organizations work together to achieve a common goal, but there are certain features that make a collective impact effort different or distinct from a regular partnership. So there are five characteristics of a collective impact effort. So it should have a common agenda. So if you have many organizations working together, you have a common agenda. You have shared measurement systems. So the idea is that, let's say there are 10 to 15 organizations, you are all working towards the same goals and the same indicators of success that are mutually reinforcing activities. So the activities that I'm doing or you are doing in the same collective impact should be kind of complementary to each other. Continuous communication is another important characteristic. And the fifth one is the idea of having a strong back 
backbones, this one entity or one organization that's actually tracking if all the other organizations are meeting their goals, is contributing towards those shared outcomes. So an example is, and you can look this up online too, there's a really interesting initiative, a citywide initiative in Somerville, Massachusetts called Shape Up Somerville, which is a collective impact campaign to reduce obesity. So it had 40 restaurants from the city offered like healthy options on their menus, but then it also had schools who participated and who basically increased healthy foods and vegetables in their options. It had clinicians and school nurses who were trained on how to identify children with obesity or who are overweight. The city participated and renovated parks and increased space where children could do activities. So that was a collective impact initiative where there was like multiple parties who played those mutually reinforcing roles to achieve a common objective. Could you just repeat the example again, please? It's called Shape Up Somerville. Somerville is a place in Massachusetts. Thank you. Moving along, in your opinion, what implications does your work with FSG social change approaches have for social work education and research and practice? When you say social work education, research and practice, are you thinking about what should change in the way social work education happens? I would say, how does your work with FSG, how do you think that would sort of filter into the curriculum with education? And how do you think it could also really play into advancing social work research and practice at the micro, meso, and macro levels? You know, I think a couple of thoughts. I think the big thing, and I don't think this is an implication just for social work. I actually think this is an implication for all sectors of education and practice. I think we're too siloed as a society, and hence we're siloed in our thinking. We try not to be, but we are. So an engineer only learns to, let's say, a computer engineer only practically learns to code. But when that engineer gets into a startup in Silicon Valley, and is creating the next Uber or creating the next startup, that person is not thinking about how that startup is going to affect the urban city, the way people communicate, the way people live, congestion, all of those things. So the implications to city and city planning, that's not taught to an engineer. Similarly, I feel like sometimes in social work, we are not taught as much to think about how does, what are some assets that the private sector has? Oh, you know, this company working in this sector has a very, very strong logistics system. What does that mean for the work that we do in the most interior parts of some some country? So I think there's a lot of silos and that sort of limits our thinking and our worldview. And I think it's breaking in many parts of the world. Of course it is. I'm not saying that no one's done it. I would say in terms of the curriculum, I don't know if the curriculum has taken that on. I think the practical world is breaking the silos, but I don't know if the curriculum has. So I would say that in my mind is number one about you know breaking silos. And then I think in terms of research, I'm not a researcher and I don't know the entire space of research, but I feel like in my work, I've found that there are so many areas where sometimes we just don't have evidence on what interventions are successful or others. So the menstrual health example that I was telling you, there's a lot of consensus that improving access to menstrual products is going to lead to improved education for health outcomes. And some evidence is strong in certain contexts and some evidence is not as strong. And I think there's a lot of data gap in that evidence space. And I think there's just more opportunity to improve evidence base in terms of what types of interventions work on the ground so that the funders and people who are sort of resources can flow based on what interventions work the best. So those are sort of a couple thoughts that come to mind. Thank you for sharing that. Now, moving specifically to social work education, let's look at the MS. W program particularly. What suggestions, recommendations you might have coming from the FSG world that could bring some value addition?
addition to classroom course content in terms of creation of courses or creation of content within existing social work courses, whether it's like community courses or administration and management courses or interventions courses, and also the field practicum experience. If you could share your thoughts, that would be really useful. You know, I do feel I also did my social work course many years ago, and I'm going to age myself. I think I did it in like 2005 and seven in India. And I think I'm going to share that context. Obviously, the social work education here might be different. I think one of the things that I think is worth adding is a discussion exactly like you're having today about different practices in the social innovation, social impact space that people are undertaking. So there is a lot out there, but I think certain practices that are innovative and impactful are more aligned with the social work degree. So I think collective impact is an example. I mean, even more than shared value, I would say collective impact would align really well with individuals who want to be in the social work space because it is such a community-based approach that I think it would be really important and interesting for someone who's doing a social work degree to learn and understand about what has worked and what has not worked because that'll be an opportunity for them when they are in, in the real world to sometimes take a step back if they're interested to and if they have the space to think about, okay, how can I connect what I'm doing to something else that's happening in the field and not be disconnected? So I think number one would be some of these practices, like I think bringing guest speakers or sharing case studies in the space. So for example, I know that a lot of business schools now have courses on shared value. So business sector is trying to learn about social impact. But I worry, to be honest, and this is a personal reflection, there is sort of a distinction of who is starting social enterprises. And I don't think it should only be people having their MBA degrees who may have spent like a year doing some volunteer work. I think if someone who is grounded in social work, who has done work on the ground, is able to then think about innovations, business models, how to actually start an organization run it, who else I should be partnering with, I think there's an asset there. And I think people are doing it. I don't want to say that this is a new idea, but I don't know how much of it is in the curriculum. I think I've seen examples of people starting things on their own and running with it. I know my colleagues are, my classmates are doing that, but I don't know how much of it is because it was there in the curriculum versus they just opened their eyes, saw the world, and they picked up on something. Thank you for sharing that. And to that point, I would just say here at the University of Buffalo School of Social Work, we do have a social impact fellows program program in the summer. In fact, it's currently happening now as we speak, where we partner MSWs with MBAs and finance and doctoral students from other disciplines through an eight-week program and let them experience Mm -hmm. the whole world of social innovation and social impact. At least I can speak for the MSW students from a very interestingly interdisciplinary lens. And we also have an interdisciplinary elective called Social Sector Innovation that a social work faculty member co-teaches with a business faculty member. And we have the course open to both the MSW and MBAs. And my last question to you would be, if you were to sell FSG to MSW students, (laughs) how would you do that? So I've been here for seven years and I really enjoy what I do. I think I would say a couple things. One, I think if you like problem solving, this is a great place to be because we're constantly doing that. I think the second thing is it's given me a wonderful opportunity to work across issues. I've always been issue agnostic in the social sector world. And so it allows me to kind of work across different issues, break silos, and work across different sectors. That's the second one. The problem solving, working across different issues. If you like that, this is the place to be. Third thing I will say, 
say is I have wonderful colleagues uh, and just an attitude of learning. I think we, as an organization, don't think we have all the answers and are experts in the social sector. If that was the case, all the problems would have been solved. I think we are very much in a learning journey, and I really appreciate that. We wrote the first article of Collective Impact, I think, about 10 years ago, and over time, there are a lot of things that we've learned, and as we learn things, we write about it. As we unlearn things, we write about it. So I love that attitude as an organization, as well as in my, I see that in my in my colleagues. And you know, we're not perfect, but we are in our journey, and we acknowledge that. And because it's small, I think we all have an opportunity to build that as we grow as an organization. So yeah, I don't know if that's helpful, but I've really enjoyed and I've grown as a person here. So yeah, I'll stop at that. Well, thank you so much. And before I let you go, I was just curious to know about your work in the area of human rights. And do you still sort of weave that into the human rights perspective into your consulting work at FSG? And if you can share an example, that'll be great. If not, that's fine too. I think it depends on the client and as things come. I know that one of the pieces of work, I'm not sure if I can share the name of the client or not in public. I need to look it up. But one of the pieces of work that we do is in the space of human trafficking. It's a large funder that's based here in the U.S. that does a lot of work on the ground in Asia and Southeast Asia to address the issue of human trafficking. So that's an example that comes to mind where we were involved in two areas. One was to do an evaluation. So we do a lot of evaluation as well to evaluate the effectiveness of a program and to see what's learned, what went well, what what are areas of improvement, and to figure out what's a cohesive strategy for addressing that issue. So you know that's an example that comes to mind. So I wouldn't say that we are here who are experts in human rights, but I think there are a lot of human rights issues that we do work on through our clients as and when it comes up. And just out of curiosity, did I hear you saying this client was sort of a corporate client or a nonprofit client? It's a philanthropic, it's a private philanthropy. Thank you so much, Ms. Iyer, for your time. I really, really appreciate you giving us the time to share your work with FSG as somebody who was trained in the discipline of social work and public policy. So I'm grateful for your time and thank you once again. Thank you so much for inviting me. This is a fun conversation and I am really excited about both the work that you're doing and the interdisciplinary sort of nature of training that you are almost creating. And I think that's fascinating and I was glad to share more background about my work that I do here. You've been listening to Lakshmi Iyer's discussion on creating social impact through public-private partnerships. I'm Luann Beck. Please join us again at In Social Work. Hi, I'm Nancy Smith, Professor and Dean of the University of Buffalo School of Social Work. Thanks for listening to our podcast. We look forward to your continued support of the series. For more information about who we are as a school, our history, our online and on-the-ground degree in continuing education programs, we invite you to visit our website at www.socialwork.buffalo.edu. And while you're there, check out our Technology and Social Work Resource Center. You'll find it under the Community Resources menu.